Guys, I am so looking forward to our baptism event tonight. I hope that uh, I hope you're going to be there. Uh, I love being a part of a church where there are people uh, who are coming to faith in Jesus, who want to tell their story of how he's uh, changing their lives. I love being a part of a church that loves to make a big deal out of Jesus. We not only do that locally here in, in our community, we, we have missionaries who we support around the world. We have partnerships with organizations around the world. And we like to be able to, to take trips, to do international mission trips where we can make a big deal out of Jesus. If you've ever uh, been interested in something like that, I want to invite you to attend this meeting on uh, July 30th so you could be uh, a part of uh, maybe a future mission trip. If ever you wanted to go or maybe you thought it'd be great for your whole family to go on a mission trip, we have opportunities like that. Maybe one day you and I will end up on a mission trip together. I would, I would love that. So if you're the tiniest bit interested, come to this meeting on July 30th. Now, if you've been around here for a little bit, you've probably heard us talk about these three words, significant, security, and satisfaction. These three things right here in life, they are not luxuries. They are needs. Every person needs them. And here's the thing about them. We're just going to naturally um, live for whoever it is or whatever it is that we think is going to give us this. We're going to give our allegiance to whoever it is or whatever it is that we think is going to give us significant, security, and satisfaction in life. And here's kind of a sneaky, subtle truth about uh, these three things. It's possible to think, well, I'm getting these three things from this thing right here, but we're actually, we don't even realize it, we've constructed our lives, we've built our lives to actually get those three things from something else entirely, and that may not make sense yet. So let me ask you, would I be crazy if I told you that sometimes, maybe sometimes, that followers of Jesus can walk around living inside of an invisible prison? That we'll say, we'll mean it. We'll say it with conviction. You know, I, I get these three things from Jesus. And we, we, we mean it when we say it. We sing songs about it. And then circumstances in our lives change unexpectedly. And then we realize, wait a second, I was actually getting these three things from something else. Not Jesus. Recently I got uh, some new glasses. Some of you guys have complimented my new spectacles here. Um, what you may not know is these are actually my first pair of bifocals. And uh, I just feel sick, you know, having to say that to you. And when I sat in the optometrist, whatever that word is, three weeks ago, and she told me that I needed bifocals, I felt something die in me, right? And the thing that died in me was the illusion of my own youth. And that might sound dumb, and if you're laughing at me, I deserve it, right? I love Jesus, and I'm trying to follow Jesus, but I had to admit to myself, at least a little bit, at least a little bit, I'm looking for this right here from the illusion of my own youth. Can I give you good news? These three things right here are offered to you, fully guaranteed. No expiration date, lifetime warranty. Now that's at least part of what we're trying to communicate in this series called Masterpiece. At least, at least this right here, Significance. And it comes from, this, this series comes from a sentence and the New Testament that's so profound, so meaningful, I think we should all commit it to memory. We should memorize it. The Apostle Paul wrote this down. Ephesians 2, he said, For we are God's handiwork, or God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you know what's true about you? For every person in this room, every person watching online, every person around the globe, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ by faith, God declares over you that you are his masterpiece. Now, it's true that every single person is infinitely valuable. Whether they believe in Jesus or don't believe in Jesus, it's, it doesn't matter. 
Because every single person, you are made in the image of God. And it's to those people who have trusted in Christ by faith, who are in Christ, God appraises you as his masterpiece. And I think some of us need to hear that. There might be some guys in this room, you've been working your tail off, men. You've been giving it all you've got. And maybe you're not getting the respect that you deserve, the respect that you, that you need. Do you know, do you know your heavenly father is proud of you? And here's the crazy thing. It's not because of anything you've done or haven't done. Your heavenly father is simply proud of you. Full stop. Maybe there's some women who need to hear this. Ladies, maybe, maybe some of you feel like you're not good enough. I mean, you get these good intentions and maybe some of your good intentions are falling short of the demands that you feel like you're living under. Do you know that your heavenly father delights in you? And here's the crazy thing. It's not because of something you've done or haven't done. He simply delights in you. Full stop. For those of you who are kind of building your life, maybe you're young, maybe you're in high school, maybe you're out of college now, maybe you're kind of trying to break in and build your career. It's so tempting, it's so incredibly tempting to try and find our significance and achievements and social acceptance and sexual fulfillment and, and all the myriad ways that we search for validation. Did you know that your heavenly father, if you were Christ, your heavenly father declares that you are the, you're the greatest work of art contained in this universe. And that is not dependent on anything that you do or, or don't do. If you are in Christ, your heavenly father is crazy about you. Now, every single one of you, when I say those words, you know what those words mean. 100% of us, so you read words like this, you know what they mean. But something less than 100% of us actually believe them. And then if you take all the people who believe those words, something less than 100% of that group actually believes it all the way down into your bones. And I would die a happy man if somehow, some way, God would use me to help all of you believe this truth that you are his masterpiece all the way down into your bones. That's not the, that's not the only goal. That's not the, that's not the only thing I desire today. I don't want to stop there. I've got a goal that's even more ambitious than that. More than you and me believing this about ourselves from our soul down to our toes, I want us to believe this about every single one of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just that we are his masterpiece, but each other are his masterpieces as well. And if we really believe that down in our bones, do you think it would change anything? Do you think it would have an impact on how we talk to and how we talk about each other? Do you think it would have an impact on the way that we engage dislikes, disappointments, and disagreements if we believe that about each other? This has been our series thesis. It's our drumbeat throughout this series. We are good works of art created to do the art of good works. And the Apostle Paul later, continuing to write in Ephesians, he makes it clear for us what it means to live this out, what good works is supposed to be. He moves from the fuzziness of like impressionist painting to the vivid clarity of digital photography. And he says, this is what it's, if you believe this, this is what it's like to live it out. In Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1, he says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling of you received. You are his masterpiece. This is what it's like to live from that, to live it out. Be completely, let's say this, humble and be bearing with one another in and make every effort to keep the 
Unity, that's right, of the Spirit through the bond of peace. How many of you guys have ever watched this guy? Anybody ever watch an episode with Bob Ross? I love Bob Ross. At the start of every episode, it's the same. It pops up on the bottom of the screen the different colors he's going to be painting with. Thalo blue, yellow ochre, Van Dyke brown. If you know, like if you watch, you know his favorite colors. And why do those colors pop up at the beginning of every episode? Because he doesn't just want his audience to watch him paint. He wanted us to paint with him. We didn't just get to watch him create works of art. We got to also make works of art if we wanted to join him. And that's what following Jesus is like. We are his good works of art, and we get to join him in the art of good works. And as Jesus is doing this beautiful work in the world, we get to join him. We get to paint along with him. We just have to paint with the same colors that he's painting with. The colors that are on his palette should be the colors on our palettes too. And that's what we're, that's what we're building. That's what we're painting with our lives. And the Apostle Paul makes clear, these are the colors. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, and unity. And today, we're focusing on this color that we're painting our lives with. Bearing with one another in love. Now, what does bearing with mean? How would you fill in the blank? What does it mean to bear with? I got to give you a hint. The answer does not sound very spiritual. This is literally what this means. Putting up with. Who's ever had to put up with somebody before? That is the work of the gospel right there. Putting up with people. Now, if there's anybody who's thinking, Rick, that doesn't sound like super loving. That kind of feels like a backhanded kind of dig, you know. That, that doesn't feel great. I want to help you recalibrate your vision today. Putting up with, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a necessary thing. It's a good and beautiful thing. Because what happens when we don't put up with people? I mean, think about it. We all have differences. We all have different baggage that we bring. And sometimes, maybe a lot of the times, to really love someone else means we have to step into discomfort. And we have to carry discomfort, maybe for a long time, so I could be close to you and you could be close to me so that I can love you and you can love me. That's what putting up with is. And if we don't put up with each other, if we're not willing to put up with the discomfort that sometimes comes, that's necessary as a part of loving someone, we'll put people out and we put people down. How's our world doing with that right now? How's our culture doing with that? See, I think, I think this is something that we need. I think this is something that people are desperate for. Bearing with and putting up with is a good and wonderful and beautiful thing. And so today we're going to look at the master artist. We're going to look at something Jesus said in John 15. I'd love for you to pull out a Bible. If you didn't bring one, you can grab one out of the seat back pocket in front of you. The Bible is broken up into two halves. The first half, which is a little bit bigger, is called the Old Testament. The second half is the New Testament. John is the fourth book in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And so I'm going to read a bit of a lengthy section. And as I do, I want you to be thinking about bearing with and putting up with and why that's important and how Jesus has, has done that for us and what our motivation is supposed to be. So I'm going to read this and then when I'm done, I'll put a couple of the verses on the screen and we're going to talk about this together, about how to paint our, our lives with the same colors as Jesus Starting in verse 1, he said, I am the true vine. So he's starting with a metaphor. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so it'll, bear, so it'll be even more fruitful. Did you know that our Heavenly Father loves us so much that there are sometimes he cuts things out of our life that we didn't ask him to cut out? 
There's sometimes there's some discomfort in our lives that he brings because he loves us, because he's trying to position us to be even more fruitful, to bear Christ-like stuff in our lives. And if you're in a position right now, you're trying to follow Jesus and it feels uncomfortable, that might be a sign of how much your heavenly father loves you, that he's working in you right now to help you bear fruit. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me. As I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Isn't this good news? It doesn't depend on us. It simply depends on, on Jesus and us staying close to him. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Nobody wants to live like that. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. When our lives are producing fruit because we're staying close to Christ and we're producing Christ or Christ-like stuff is being produced in us, it makes our Heavenly Father look good. When we're producing fruit, it helps other people see how good He is. That's how we show ourselves to be His disciples. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Can I share with you guys a pet peeve that I have? No? I'm going to do it. It's a pet peeve of mine. I hate it. It's like nails on a chalkboard. When I hear somebody say something like, God cares more about your holiness than your happiness, I just don't think that's true. I don't think Jesus believes that. Yeah, God cares about our holiness and he cares about our happiness because he understands that our joy, that our happiness, that our satisfaction in life is only secure and full when we are abiding in Christ, when we are Close to when inside of holiness, all of his commands are like expressions of the life of thriving that he intended it because he wants us to just be overflowing with happiness and joy and satisfaction. He wants us to abide in Christ and to be holy. My command is this love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Talk about bearing discomfort. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. What's the command? Some of you guys are excited about it. Some of you guys are not. What's the command? That's it. Love each other. And so I'm going to kind of state it in a different way, maybe to help us remember it. If you're a note taker, write this down. Whenever we're in the wrong for anything, we've only gone wrong in one thing. Love. It's all about love. The whole Christian life is about love. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul once wrote this down. You could read it in Galatians 5.14. He says, all the law, everything you read in the Bible, cover to cover, everything is fulfilled in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Christian life is the art of love. But there might have been some stuff that we read in there that if you were really paying attention, you might have said, Rick, that doesn't sound super loving. Like Jesus said some stuff, like I'm sure he meant love, but it kind of felt a little rough. 
Things like this. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Like, is that a veiled threat from Jesus? How about this? If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Like it's just Jesus' way of saying, I will love you as long as you do what I say. To really understand this, we've got to do some deep theological work. Are you guys ready for that? Can we do some deep theological work? I'm going to put it up on the screen. Here we go. This is Jesus. This is Taylor Swift. Jesus ain't Taylor Swift. This is why I say that. Because Jesus is not writing a breakup song about you. He's not writing a breakup song with you or about you or for you. This is what this means. This is not a veiled threat. It might be a hard truth, but it is a good truth. He says, if you do not remain in me, you are like. If you don't remain in me, this is what it's going to be like. See, if we don't remain in Jesus, and by that, we're, we're, we're devoted to him. We're intimate with him. We are yielded to him. We're surrendered to him. We are submitted to him. We are following him. If we're not doing that, the experience, what it's going to be like, is lifeless. The Christian life will be experienced as dull and dry. And we won't experience the vibrancy that comes of, of the kind of fruit that God wants to produce in us. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And when he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. I want you to think of this. Let's imagine. I want you to think of Jesus' love like air conditioning. Think of his commands like the house, all right? And outside is the hottest, nastiest, muggiest day you can imagine. Are you with me? How do you experience the air conditioning? You stay inside. But if you go outside, does it mean the air conditioner has turned off? No, the AC may still be blowing and going for you. It's still available for you. It's still for you. But you're not experiencing it because you stepped outside, all of Jesus' commands, they're not rules for us to prove to him that we love him. They are expressions of his love for us. They mark the territory inside of which is a life of thriving and love. So he says, abide in me because here is the good life that you want. And when you step outside of that, you stop experiencing what I'm offering to you. We could say it like this, Jesus never stops loving us. We sometimes stop abiding in him. And sometimes some of the ways we stop abiding in him are sneaky and subtle. And we take abiding in Jesus and we replace it with something lesser. And we try to do this life of community and love and unity. And we take away abiding in Jesus and we, we replace it with something that's just inferior. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. Agreement is not the source of our love. Like, if I love you because you think like me, Am I loving you or am I loving me? Affinity, just kind of naturally being like each other, having the same preferences. Affinity is not the source of our love. If I love you because you're just naturally like me and you have the same preferences as I do, am I really loving you or am I loving me? Assimilation, you kind of bending your way to match my way. Assimilation is not the source of our love. If I love you because you're willing to kind of get with my program and do things the way I like them, am I really loving you or am I loving me? What is the source of love in the Christian life? It is abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ is the source 
of our love. And the Apostle Paul has made clear for us, if we do that, if we abide in Christ, if we're loving, then we are going to bear with and we are going to happily put up with and, and carry the discomfort that comes that's necessary sometimes to love each other. And so today I want to ask this question. What if? What if maybe one of the most damaging ways, deeply sinful ways, toxic ways that we make war against the love of Christ is by failing to put up with each other? What if the thing that Jesus wants us to hear today is that it's anti-gospel to not put up with each other? This is audience participation part. How many of you have ever said something like this? You can let me know by raising your hand. How many of you have ever said something like this? I shouldn't have to put up with that. Anybody? All right, me too. So that lots of times. Shouldn't have to put up with that. And there's lots of things we should not have to put up with. We shouldn't have to put up with abuse. Shouldn't have to put up with racism. You should not have to put up with hypocrisy or lying from me as your pastor. We could probably come up with a list of a thousand things we shouldn't have to put up with. This is where I'm stuck. And maybe it's not stuck. Maybe... Maybe what's going on is the Holy Spirit is trying to show me my sin that's in me. And here's my question for me, but I'll share it with you. Do I sometimes use behaviors I don't like, attitudes I don't like, preferences I don't like, and personal idiosyncrasies as an excuse to not put up with people? Do I sometimes use behaviors I don't like, attitudes I don't like, preferences I don't like, or personal idiosyncrasies that I don't like as an excuse to not bear with and put up with people. Just a second ago, I asked the question, what if? What if the most damaging, deeply sinful, toxic ways that we make war against the love of Jesus and the goodness of his gospel is by failing to put up with each other? And understandably, some of you might have said, Rick, that seems a little extreme. And that seems like an overstatement. I want you to hang with me. Because what happens when we decide that we're not going to put up with people? We put them out. We put them down. And we push them out. And we squeeze them out. And what is that experience like for them? The experience on the other side of that is being cut off from community. And from a biblical perspective, that's what death is. Death is being cut off. But we are people of life. We're people of love. And what we're talking about today is no small thing. It's not a trivial matter. It is everything. And so I think it's in our best interest. It's in our benefit to really stare down what might be a hard truth. I mean, just to really face it. And maybe what I'm going to talk about doesn't describe you. Maybe it just describes me. But maybe there are some others of you who say, yeah, it kind of describes my experience too. Somewhere along the way, probably a lot of us would say, I picked up the skills on how to do this. We just learned the skills of how to put people out, squeeze them out, and push them out. Somewhere along the way, I learned the skills of how to do it subtly. Sometimes we do it in obvious, ugly, obnoxious ways, and social media certainly doesn't help with that. But somewhere along the way, some of us learn the skills of, in a socially acceptable way, letting people know we're not going to accept them socially. And maybe we learn these skills because it was done to us. Maybe we learn these skills because we saw it in people that we admired. 
Sometimes we learn these skills by the way that our tribe treats a different tribe, the way that our in-group treats an out-group. Sometimes we learn it in the social circles we, we run in. And anybody who's ever been to middle school, we've experienced it. And with all the gentleness that I have, some of us learn this at church. And so since we are a church, and since we're church people, let's talk about how we might be vulnerable to this just for a second. How we can take abiding in Christ and the love that he gives and replace it with a counterfeit instead of the real thing. Counterfeit is basing our love on agreement, affinity, or assimilation. See, a church, and I'm not saying this is this church, I'm just saying this is stuff that everybody's got to be on, on the lookout for. See, a church that bases, uses agreement as the basis for love is going to be a church of conflict. It's going to be a church that's critical because it quiets, it silences people who have too many questions and people whose perspective color outside the lines. And this will be a church that forgets that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. A church that makes affinity. Yes, we're all kind of like each other naturally, right? We have the same preferences, right? So a church that makes affinity the basis of love is a church that's going to be a consumeristic church. It's a church that elevates preferences over purpose. It'll be a group of people who they don't know how to say no to themselves so they can say yes to somebody else. A church that makes assimilation the basis of love will be a church of conformity, forcing people to bend to and adopt a majority culture instead of being a church of all cultures. This week, is, I was thinking about this, thinking about this message. I, I couldn't help but think about what was it like in the very first churches? What were those congregations like? Because they were an insane mix of people who never should have gotten along, much less loved each other. And so I began to make a list of all the backgrounds and the differences they brought uh, to, with them when they came to church. And maybe these, don't, these things didn't continue to describe them, but these are the backgrounds that they came from. In the first century congregations, backgrounds, they were Jewish, they were Gentile. Some of them were Pharisees, some of them were priests. Some of them used to be prostitutes and some of them used to be their customers. Some of them came from all kinds of various kind of sexual lifestyles and different definitions of sexual identity. Some of them used to be anti-government revolutionaries and then some of them were tax collectors for the government. There were people who were educated, people who were uneducated. In the congregation, you would have people who were slaves and you had slave owners. You had people who were desperately poor and people who were filthy rich. You had young people, you had old people, you had people who were Roman and you had people whose countries and people groups were conquered by Rome. You're never going to have enough agreement or affinity or assimilation to bind these people together and yet they were bound together in such a way that what they experienced launched a movement that flipped the Roman Empire on its head and they shared an uncommon love, an unconditional love that came from abiding in Christ and they each understood that they were his masterpiece and each other were his masterpiece and because that they were abiding in Christ, they valued one another above themselves. And every church gets to decide. Every church gets to decide 
What kind of church do we want to be? Is that the kind of church that we want to be? If we're the kind of church where we say, we're, listen, we're, we're abiding in Christ. That is the source of our love. And I'm willing, I'm willing to experience discomfort so I can be close to you and you can be close to me and we can love each other. We are going to be a ridiculous, beautiful mosaic of people who should never get along. There's no explanation for why we would even want to hang out together. And yet we will be bound together and love one another in world-changing ways. Now, I don't want to give you a bunch of platitudes today, and I don't want this sermon to sound like it came from the inside of a Hallmark card. Let's just be real. The promise of the gospel is not that every follower of Jesus is going to be your best friend. The promise of the gospel is not just because you go to church with someone that you're going to have chemistry and effortless friendship. Well, we are going to have to bear with each other. We're going to have to put up with discomfort and differences, and that's okay. Extroverts, you got to deal with introverts. Introverts, we got to deal with those extroverts. I made a list of people we're going to have to put up with. I'm going to share it with you. It's not, listen, I don't know who's on your list. I might be on your list. Now, this isn't a complete list. This is just kind of to get us started. Can I share it with you? We're going to do this. We're going to happily put up with people who vote in ways we can't understand. Can I get an amen? All right, remember that next year. We're going to put up with people who disagree with us about the best interpretation of a biblical passage or a doctrine. Okay, no amens on that one. We'll... <laughs> New message series. All right. Um, we're going to put up with people who have more money than we have, and we're going to put up with people who have less money than we have. We're going to put up with people who can't or who won't step into our experiences and see things from our perspective. We are going to put up with people who annoy us. We're going to put up with people who challenge us. We are going to put up with people who have unending questions. We're going to put up with people who think they have all the answers. This is a tough one for me. We're going to put up with close talkers. We're going to put up with huggers. And we're going to put up with people who never hug. We're going to put up with people who dress up. And we're going to put up with people who dress down. We're going to put up with cranky people. And we're going to put up with obnoxiously happy people. We're going to put up with people who sing loud, maybe too loud. And we're going to put up with people who look like they're sucking oatmeal through a straw during your favorite worship song. We're going to put up with people whose skin is different from our skin. We're going to put up with people whose language is different from our language. We're going to put up with people who want our church to go faster. And we're going to put up with people who want our church to go slower. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he defeated sin, because he conquered death through the resurrection, because he really has given us new life and made us new creatures, made us his masterpiece, and because we are abiding in him and his love and his power are flowing to us and through us, there's nobody there is nobody, there's nobody who we will not bear with in love. Let me tell you something you already know. Everywhere you go in this world, acceptance is conditional, isn't it? It's conditional on some version of 
or some combination of think like me, be like me, act like me. Agreement, affinity, and assimilation. But it's not that way with the people of Jesus. The people of Jesus are eager to welcome, eager to serve, and eager to love all others in the way that we have received that from Jesus. You know this community better than I do. You've lived here, most of you have lived here longer than I have. The world comes to our little town, doesn't it? The world comes to our town. People come looking for medical care. Some people move here to get medical care. And why do they leave behind? They leave behind their community. There are people who come here to learn and to grow in their career and to ascend and They grind and they work long, hard hours. And what do they leave behind? They leave their community behind. So my question is, what do we want them to experience when they experience us, this community? What might Jesus want to do with a group of people who are so committed to bearing with each other in love that you put up with me, I put up with you, You put up with each other, and we'll carry whatever discomfort we have to carry. We'll sit in it however long we have to sit in it so we could be close to each other and love each other and serve each other in the way Jesus has loved us. What might Jesus want to do with a group of people like that who the world keeps coming to them? Could it be, could it be that our Heavenly Father wants to use us to show how good He is by this fruit that we bear in our lives? you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, that you made yourself known through him, that the second person of the Trinity took on humanity and lived the life that we could never live. He died the death we should have died, and he overcame death, and we have new life because of that. That I want to pray for any person in here who is ready to cross the line of faith and to trust in Jesus. God, I want to pray for those in this room who we just want to take our next step of following Jesus. Would you use us as people who happily bear with in love, who happily surrender to your pruning shears, people who happily carry and sit in discomfort for the sake of loving and the way that we have been loved. God, would you use us so that other people can see just how good you are. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.